Welcome to So What's Your Story, a podcast about writers and writing. This week, we're back at the Indie Lit Festival in Western Maryland. And we're here again at the Gunther Hotel for the Indie Lit Festival in Frostburg, Maryland, sponsored by Frostburg State University. Yeah, the Frostburg Center for Literary Arts. Very good. And, and, I, and we have the former chair with us. Yeah, uh, you know, one of the best days of my life was the day I stepped in. <laughs> Did you, did you, I'm sorry, can you please introduce yourself and talk a little bit about yourself? I'm Jerry LaFemina. I am a professor of creative writing at Frostburg State University. I teach in the MFA program at Carlo University. Uh, I'm the author of numerous books of poems, uh, a textbook on poetry writing, and a novel and a book of stories. <laughs> and um, you used to run this too? I used to run the Center for Literary Arts and, and uh, was the person who conceived of this uh, Western Maryland Indie Lit Festival. And just so grateful to see that it continues all these years later. Uh, this is year 13 or 14. Uh, I've lost count because it's no longer my job to keep count. <laughs> Several of the poets here were excited to hear your talk on um, how to put a chat book together. You've been instrumental in a lot of the people that I've already spoken to today are like, well, Jerry helped me with this. Well, Jerry helped me with that. And, and so it's, it's cool to have that kind of influence and... It's impressive that you wield it in such a gentle way, I guess, would be the way to say it. People really look up to you, and I think you respect that and you return that. Well, thank, first of all, thank you. Um, I'm reminded always that it's an honor to be asked to look at somebody's work and to help them. Uh, that's an honor. That's a, that's, that's a, it's a gift to me. Um, and I try very hard to honor the work and honor what the work seems to want to be. Um, you know, I know, I know some poets who, who will say things when looking at a poem, if this were my poem, I would do X. It's not my poem, and I, I would never assume that I would do X. So I'm always trying to listen to the poems, and, I, and I'm also always trying to listen to what the poets or the writers want for their writing, and, and then try to help them get there. Uh, and that to me is an honor, um, but it's also, I had great teachers along the way. I, I was given the gift of, of terrific teachers, terrific mentors, uh, none of whom want me to say thank you to them. They just want me to continue that tradition. Uh, one, of, one of the things I'm always reminded about as being a teacher of creative writing is, is something about what, what I've learned about bagpipe players, and that is that they teach the pipes for free because they recognize that uh, nobody will keep the noble art of bagpipe playing alive if they don't. And, and so, um, you know, for me, it's Tom Luck said to me when I was his student, good poems get written, it doesn't matter who writes them. And I would say, more importantly, it's my job to help foster those people to write them. And kind of, a, kind of along with that is this notion of community. So you have the, you have the festival here, and you know, you've, you've, come, you've come to Salisbury to, to speak, and I, I know that you speak at other places. And there is something really pure about, I, I want this to exist, and I know it'll exist if I participate in helping to make it. Yeah. Um, you know, we, it's a really frightening time in America because I feel like we're, we're sort of, in, especially politically, falling into these sort of tribal spaces. Um, 
there's a real sense of it's us versus them. Um, you know, living in, in this country, in any country, is not a sporting event. If, if all you're trying to do is, is create political points or win a, a game, uh, the country suffers. Um, I was raised by a single mother uh, who often worked three jobs. And so community, the neighbors, the libraries, community centers became really important to how I lived. And then, uh, and then I became a punk. And, you know, what punk rock was all about was the scene. When, when I was touring the country playing punk rock at 16, 17 years old, you know, you'd roll into towns in which there was no club, somebody rented out a VFW hall, somebody else made flyers, somebody else's band was playing, somebody rented a PA, and everybody came together and made something bigger happen. And, and that's how I feel about the literary community. You know, our job is to, to make something bigger happen. Um, uh, it's not about me, it's about us. And it's, I'm, I'm so happy to see former students of mine and, and see friends of mine publish. Uh, that for me is a thrill. Um, and, and I'd like to think that my legacy is not necessarily in the books I've written uh, that have, have you know, gone out of print and, and fallen into obscurity so much as it's in the, in the people I've, whose work I've helped foster and mentor, which has also you know, been published and then fallen into obscurity. But, <laughs> um, but it's an honor and, and it's an important thing. Yeah, and it's the doing, right? Yeah, yeah it's, it's all about the doing. And so one of the things for our listeners and also for me, can you tell me what a chapbook is and why people are excited about them? Because I genuinely don't know. A chapbook is a small, traditionally a collection of poems. And when I say small, I mean 24, 28 pages total, uh, often you know, saddle-stapled, often a, a, a beautiful little handmade thing, although they get mass-produced too. Mm -hmm. um, but, you, you know, because short-form fiction and short-form prose, the micro-essay has become popular, I can imagine these uh, being done in any genre. Uh, the, the root of the term chapbook, a lot of people think, oh, it's a book the length of a chapter. That's uh, what I thought, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's actually, in, uh, uh, in the Middle Ages, wandering minstrel poets were called the Chapmen. Oh. And they would sell little folio editions of their poems for extra money, and those were the books of the Chapmen, so they were chapbooks. There you go. And, and because people didn't have a lot of money, and of course because you know, often these would be handwritten, handbound, uh, they were short. Uh, they were often folio editions of 24 pages, the way, way books would be folded. So. I, I just, it was, it, I've, been, I've been around publishing for a while, and then all of a sudden it went from not ever hearing it to hearing it all the time. I knew it was a small book of poetry. And um, what is, why, why a chapbook versus another kind of book, and how do you know if that's the kind of thing you want to do? Well, it's funny, it, you know, when I, was, when I was sort of coming of age as a writer, it was often you published, in, you published poems in magazines, and then you published a chapbook, and then those chapbook poems, some of those poems would be in your first full-length collection, 
and then you'd never publish a chapbook again. But there, <laughs> there are there are people who really love the chapbook form, and and I do. Um, I work with my seniors at at Frostburg State. Uh, all my poetry students produce a chapbook. We we print out twelve or fifteen copies. They they learn about you know what type of paper they want and what type of cover they want and cover graphics and we look at different fonts and uh, I have this long saddle stapler and so we print out 12 or 15 copies and then we you know we sort of look at at, at this as an artifact um, and and you know I, I started that process because I always watched like painting students would leave with many paintings right. that they would give to their parents and their you know grandparents and their girlfriends or boyfriends and pottery students would give these, you know, beautiful vases. And then like the poets would be like, oh, I have some coffee stained, wrinkled sheets of paper. Um, <laughs> if you want to see them. Yeah, if you want to see them. And so, um, so, so I, you know, for me, I think one is the chapbook uh, provides for young writers a way to get their best work together in one small edition. But, uh, you know, on other fronts, I just think, a book, a full-length collection of poems, or a full-length collection of stories, is very much macroscopic. Uh, you know, it's 80 pages of poetry or 90 pages of poetry, and those poems, you know, they're all written by the same poet, and they surely might speak to each other, but but they function like a museum. A chapbook functions like a gallery, which uh. is to say, they're small, they're intimate, they're perhaps a little more focused. The, the conversation among them is a little bit more clear. And, and I think, and it doesn't get tiresome. You know, you put, uh, you, you put 16, 20 pages worth of poems that, that, are, that are dealing with Disney cartoons, and you think, oh, that's kind of attractive and kind of fun, and you get the gag and you laugh, and if they're really well done, you're like, oh, that's terrific. You get 80 pages of that, and you start going, <laughs> it's like being trapped, uh, it's like being trapped in Disneyland after a while. It's like, you know, those, those, that creepy Goofy that I've walked by four times, he's winked at yeah, me now, I need to get out. <laughs> um, and so I do think that, that the chapbook, because of its brevity, allows you to do something as a writer that perhaps a full-length book drowns out. Um, and I love the form. I've been publishing chapbooks uh, throughout my career. I just had one come out last, last summer called Point South. And it's about uh, nine pages of poems that, that all take place in Brazil, and then another about 11 pages of poems that take place in Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, they were written, the, these sequences were written, and they're not really sequences. These groups of poems were written probably about three years apart from each other. But they both deal with this idea of traveling these, both, these places that are beautiful and also poor. Um, and that they, they all share this conversation of being homesick or being away, being in a place where you're forced to pay more attention but also finding that all the stuff, wherever you go, you're with you. Um, <laughs> and this idea of, um, so this, this, play, this point of displacement meets familiarity because you're always there. I don't know how they would be in a full-length book um, because the landscapes would be jarring, the, the sensibility of... Uh, 
of language. The Brazil poems include a lot of Portuguese. Um, I think they wouldn't, they don't fit in a full-length collection, but talking with each other, they're great. And I, I you know, uh, if I ever have a, a new and selected poems, or you know, selected poems, or God forbid, a collected poems, <laughs> um, you know, they would appear. But I don't know how they would work. Just hanging out with the, you know, the poems of Frostburg in New York and Pittsburgh, etc. I just don't think they manage in that way. Going back to your students, along those lines, for them to see what it looks like on a published page must be must be important. And also, because I know you must talk about you know like line breaks and, and how to use how to use the space on the page. But then to see how to use the space on the page in the book, and to think about that scaled up, it must be some sort of lesson as well. Yeah, you know, it's it's really amazing to watch the students when they start thinking that oh. This is going to be something that's going to be in a book. The editing becomes better. Um, they become a little tougher on themselves. Uh, you know, and I think that's true. One of the things I'm always keenly aware, you know, when I started writing, I write everything longhand, and it takes a long time to get typed. But when, even when I was an undergrad, I was working on a typewriter, and of course, my typing is pretty pathetic, and so it looked like a piece in progress. And one of the things I always say to my students when they're writing and they go right to computer, they go to computer early, I always say, put it in a different color font. Make it seem like a draft, because when you print something out on a computer, it looks finished. It's got this nice font. It's got, it, could be, it could lull you into a sense that it's done. And when I think that thinking, oh, I'm going to put this into a manuscript and it's going to come into a book, is suddenly that 8.5 by 11 page is less done than they originally thought. That's fascinating. I'm using that starting tomorrow because that's the problem I have. Uh, I, I often have a problem where I've, I've written something and I'm looking at it and I'm like, it's not good. And then I'm like, but it's done. Right. And Struggling with that, my, the only way I've ever succeeded with that is I just leave it for six months, and then I come back, and then I can see it. Print it out in blue ink, because you'll look at it and go, that's not done. It's in blue <laughs> ink. It's, it's amazing. Just a little tweak like that changes the psychology of how you look at it. That's, that's absolutely fascinating. I'm sorry, you, you, you threw me off my game right there. Um, you could also do something really cool, like uh, do an embossed draft on the page, I'm not kidding. I know people have done that. Because when you print it out, you see that, that low, almost watermark that says draft, and suddenly you're like, oh, it's a draft. Right. But I think anything you can do to clear your mind from it looking finished is helpful. That is, that is absolutely fantastic. Um, so earlier today, you actually gave a talk on, on chapbooks. Um, I, I, it was, I would think we were teasing, but he was well attended, right? I mean, everybody said... Uh, Nobody's coming to this because they're all over <laughs> listening to him. Um, you know, it was, uh, it, was, it was fairly well attended. There were, there were a lot of great panels going on today. Um, and, and I, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Well, while I was giving mine, there were, there were a number of people in the room. I had done a similar talk at the Beta Ocean Conference uh. in, in, uh, in the spring. Um, you know, uh, but I think that people... One of the things I encourage, and this is the other amazing thing about the chapbook, and this harkens back to its roots, which is the nice thing about a chapbook is anybody can put one out. Right. It's 
really easy to go to a good craft store, even a Michaels or an AC Moore, and get yourself some nice paper. Your computer has the allowance for numerous fonts, and you can really do a nice chapbook. It just requires paying attention to little things about layout. Know that page one is going to be on the right-hand page, <laughs> right-hand half of a page, and it's going to be on the left-hand of that same page is going to be the last page. And the way to do that is just to take, if you have a 20-page chapbook, take five sheets of paper, fold them in half as if it was going to be a book, and just number them and then look where things are. <laughs> right. Um, but what I love about that is that, you know, I know a lot of writers who have made limited edition chapbooks to give away as Christmas presents or tributes, uh, you know, on the death of a parent or something like that, and they want to thank people who have come to the funeral as a keepsake. And that's what the Chapman did. They produced their own folios and sold them. And I don't think there's any sin in that. And the chapbook as a form, because of its brevity, because of its compact nature, allows writers to do that. And so if there are people like, gee, I really wish I had something to sell at, at, a, at a coffee shop reading or reading I'm doing, make your own chapbook. Do it right. Do it attractively. Mm -hmm. And the nice thing is you can get wax thread and a needle and just, you know, you can even hand sew it. And, and people are like, well, isn't that self-publishing? You know, nobody says to bands who put out their own CDs, oh, you self-published. Um, you know, if somebody wants to buy 10 or 12 of your poems in a small collection, God bless you. Who cares who put it out? Well, I mean, Stephanie's not here to stand up on her chair and start clapping, but so I'll do that for her because I'll, I'll remind you that my partner, Stephanie, is, uh, she has an independent press where um, people, people pay. It's, it's, she's uncomfortable with Vanity Press, I think, for a reason, and that is sometimes she says no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, she's, she's not going to take someone's money if it's, if it's not good, but there are some people who are not going to get things published who want things published, and there's, as you say, no sin in it. Right. And I also think, though, that if you're going to do that, people need to make sure it's the best it's going to be. I'm sure Stephanie does that's things why, that's like... That's why she says no. Right. I think Stephanie does things like actually proofread the book, <laughs> actually think, you know, I, I always say, hey, look, if you're willing to spend, you know, a couple hundred dollars or a couple thousand dollars yeah. to put a book out, Spend a, spend a couple hundred dollars to get a really good editor to come in and just say, hey, let's make this the best thing it can be. Right. And, be, and because no one cares, no one who loves it is going to love it because Penguin put it out as opposed right. to Saltwater Media. That's right. <laughs> and the fact is this. Um, you know, nobody says about Whitman, you know, the father of American poetry... He's self-published. <laughs> uh, you know, in some ways, self-publishing is a great democratic thing. Yes, it, it, it'll, it'll, it'll fly or it won't. That's right. And nobody gets to say one reason or another. Um, I also would like to start to talk about, you said, so you said you just had a collection come out? I just had a, I had a small chapbook come out uh, in a really beautiful hand-bound edition uh, from a press in Florida called Hysterical Books. Uh, and I can't say enough of how, what a beautiful job they did with it. So asking you to look at the next one anyway, even though it's, it's wildly inappropriate, 
I, like the how do you know when it's when it's time to because you have so many things you're you're writing just to write and then you're also working and teaching and um, playing rock and roll and playing rock and roll and so and how, do you a little precious and I apologize in advance but like do you feel a chapbook coming on is that no, I, you know, I, I wrote these poems of Brazil uh, when I was in Brazil and right after, and that was th three and a half years ago, and, and I wrote some of the Trinidad and Tobago poems when I was there a year and a half ago. And the Brazil poems, they got published in magazines and people liked them. I didn't see how they fit into anything else. And there were eight of them. You know, it's not really, it's like, oh, am I doing something? Okay, well, they've been in magazines, big deal. And then suddenly I had this other series of poems that were tropical, and I said, well, and I started to imagine how they worked in conversation. And they kind of worked really well in conversation with each other, and I thought, huh, that's, uh, maybe that's a chapbook. Maybe I should see if somebody would want to publish it. Um, and I was, I, was, I, was, I was talking with uh, Jay Snodgrass, who runs Anhinga Press, who's published my last, uh, two of my last three collections of poems. And I said, you know, I said, Jay, you know, you know any good chapbook presses? And he said, well, I have a side project in which I just published chapbooks. Uh, he goes, why? And I said, well, I have this, this collection of these travel poems. And he said, I'll do them. <laughs> I was like, you haven't read them. He goes, oh, but I, I, I know your books. You know, I, I know your work. I, I have no doubt they're good. If I, if I hate the manuscript, I'll, I'll kick it back. But, you know, I, I don't think that's going to be a problem. Um, and he really did a beautiful job. Uh, and I'm really grateful for the support. And, and I think that, I mean, that's, that, you know, we, we started this conversation about community. And I think that one of the great joys about being here, about, about seeing these different publishers, these different editors, and, and being is, uh, you know, seeing you again, or seeing Stephanie and what she does with, with Saltwater Media, is that, you know, there's a really inherent relationship between writers and readers and editors. You know, I trust Jay implicitly. His designs for Anhinga have been great. I knew that if he was going to do a chapbook, it was going to be beautiful. Um, he trusted my work. And we both trusted each other to do right by each other. And I think that that is crucial to the relationship we have as writers with readers, with, as editors with writers, with writers with their editors and publishers. And, and that's super important to me. It, as a reader and as a writer, the idea of trust is, like, don't, as, as a reader, don't take my money if you didn't earn it, right? Huh. And, 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 and as a writer, don't, don't tell me this is good if it's not. You exactly. Know? You, don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to hurt my feelings, but you know, the, the trust is I'm, I'm going to give this to you and you're going to tell me if I hit the mark. I know what I wanted it to do, but, I, but only you can tell me how successful I was. Exactly. Where the other. Exactly. Exactly. And, and so as you kind of... I, just because you gave me so, such great advice earlier in this conversation, I'll ask three and four projects at a time that you don't even know if they're projects or not. They're just, these are things that I'm kind of doing. Um, I, don't, I don't worry about the project. I, I don't have a project. I, I'm writing poems. I'm writing prose poems. And those are two very different art forms right. for me. 
And um, I was in Ireland in the summer, and I was like, huh, I want to write a short story. That's a very different thing. And then I'm, I'm writing music, and that's a very different thing. And, and, they, and I'm, I'm sort of always sort of moving between all of them. And at a certain point, so in February, I have a new, I have a new full-length collection of prose poems called, coming out called Baby Steps and Doomsday Prepping. And it's funny, I thought the book was done when I sent it out, and I, I'm very happy that this book is coming out. But as I was looking at the galley pages, um, there are a number of ekphrastic poems in the book that, that happen every eight or nine poems, and they sort of are sewn together. They sew the book together. And then I realized, you know what? There was none of those in the last, oh, maybe 18 poems. So I was like, well, I gotta have one. You know? So then I was like, well, I was looking at art that moves me to write prose poems, and prose poems, are they are, for me, inherently wild. They are, if my poems are Apollonian, prose poems are Dionysian. I'm, I'm much more interested in puns and in, in surprising language, in the crazy image, in surrealism, in these things that my poems don't do. And I'm okay with that. I like my poems to be what my poems are, and I like my prose poems to be what my prose poems are. But inevitably you say, this feels done. Like, this thing is finished. I have, you know, 90 prose poems here. I have to, whatever I'm going to do next in this form, it ain't what I'm doing. Right. Um, and so I'm, I'm going on sabbatical in the spring, too. I'm, I'm super lucky for this. And, and my project is to put together the next book of poems. And I sort of feel like my last book of poems was uh, called The Story of Ash. And it really was uh, a manuscript and a, and a book that looked at this relationship. This, this, this. Um, and when the relationship ended, I sort of knew the book was over. Like, there were no more poems to write about this. Right. And, and this next collection, which is, gonna, which is tentatively titled The American Ruse after the great MC5 song, um, is about those myths we tell ourselves, those myths that are cultural, those myths of America, those myths that exist in advertising. And I know the book, like I know, I probably have 200 pages worth of poetry in the last four years. They're not all going to be in this book. Some of them are just bad poems, and that's okay. I, you're going to write a lot of bad poems, even if you're a poet who's been doing this for 30-some-odd years, the way I have, and that's okay. And some of the poems might be good. They're just not going to fit the conversation. Maybe they'll fit another conversation. Maybe they're the sparks of what I'm going to be working on next. But I always believe your obsessions are your obsessions. And your obsessions have a, have a time limit. Right? Absolutely, because you're like, I I'm done with this now. Well, and also because life happens. You know, when my son was a newborn and his well-being was in intrinsically connected to my actions, he appeared in a lot of poems. <laughs> my son's a 28-year-old guy now. He's on his own. His well-being, I have a vested interest in it, but I am not actively involved in it. So it's less an obsession. But now, as I, you know, my, my good friend George Guida just had his mother die. I would imagine there are going to be a lot of 
dead mother poem. Right. Because that's going to be an emotional obsession. And that's not a bad thing or a good thing. It's just an honest thing that, you know, life happens and it gives you what the next thing is. And then, so there's a, a sort of, like, oh, it's a chapter break. Well, now I have to look at all the pages I've written for this chapter and figure out where the book is. And that actually brings us right up to the end. So thank you very much for joining us again. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been and great. hopefully we'll have you back in February. Well, this time, we'll do one a year whether it kills us. First, <laughs> first one that dies doesn't get to be on the show. Thank you so much. All right. So What's Your Story was produced by Saltwater Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. Visit us at sowhatsyourstorypodcast.com where you can find past episodes, guest bios, show notes, and all sorts of fun stuff. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Radio Public, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, take a second and give us a great review. Tell your story.